Well, Boris, hey? Boris, remember him? It was never going to end well, was it? It was one of those kind of disasters you could see coming down the track quite a long way away, couldn't you? Uh, and I actually think he's probably quite a talented person, man, quite a talented man, actually. He's, um, he's bright, he's incredibly widely read. If you hear his speeches, like he's drawing in things from all over the place. Um, and he seems to command a following, doesn't he? People follow him. He's quite a charismatic person. So it should have gone so well, really. But what it seems he lacks is integrity. Uh, kind of the ability to uh, speak the truth, even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient. The ability to do the right thing, even when nobody might be looking. And I think that's kind of quite closely aligned to what we're thinking about this evening, this idea of faithfulness, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, and it's the one that we're looking at this evening. So I think Boris is actually quite a helpful reminder for us that actually faithfulness is, uh, is really important and lacking in faithfulness can have life-changing consequences for us. So I confess that when I began to read and ruminate on this, um, what I was going to talk about this evening, I was kind of thinking, oh, faithfulness, it's a bit boring, isn't it? It's like a bit... Uh, you know, duty and do the right thing and do a bit more of the right thing. It's not very glamorous, faithfulness. But actually, as I've read and prayed and lived in this for the last couple of weeks, God has really stirred my heart. So I hope I can take you on a little bit of that journey uh, if you're feeling like I did when, when I thought about that subject. So the first thing I want us to do is to kind of think about our culture, think about the environment in which this fruit of the Spirit is trying to grow, because that's, that's important for us to be aware of. So I would suggest that faithfulness is not highly valued in society around us. In fact, if you notice, we barely use the word anymore. Faithfulness is quite an old-fashioned kind of word, isn't it? Except in the context of marriage where we talk about when it all goes wrong, we talk about unfaithfulness. So what do we mean? What did Paul mean when he wrote this letter to the Galatians and listed these different qualities of the fruit of the Spirit? So the, the Greek word he uses, it uses is apparently a word pistis, and it translates as um, something that is firm, that is strong, that is trustworthy. That's the kind of idea that he's trying to communicate. So it's about staying on board for the long haul, being dependable, keeping our word, all that kind of thing. And it's not something that comes very naturally to us in these times. You know, when life gets hard or we aren't feeling it anymore, our instinct is actually to bail out, isn't it? Whether that's from a job or a church or a marriage or a friendship or any kind of commitment, actually. And we see the fallout from unfaithfulness all over the place. The most obvious is the, the, the damage done to families um, when a, a marriage partner or a, a, a committed partnership where somebody is unfaithful in that 
some of us will have experienced that deep pain and the destructiveness of that kind of unfaithfulness. But it's not just in families, it's evident everywhere. And we all probably are aware of this. You know, if the truth doesn't show us in a good light, we'll bend it. If keeping a promise is awkward, we'll break it. And it's seen in so many different areas of our communal life, isn't it? So unfaithfulness is not just tolerated, it's almost celebrated at times in our culture. And we need to recognize that because it makes, us, makes it really hard for us to be faithful. One author I read said, faithfulness has become like a disco. It used to be cool, and a few people still do it, but for the most part, it's a thing of the past. And the trouble is that, as Boris discovered the hard way, the best things in life are the result of faithfulness. Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the Message translation of the Bible, describes it as a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. A long obedience in the same direction. That's faithfulness or trustworthiness for the long haul. So our culture is a hostile environment to be growing any of the fruit of the Spirit, um, probably, but particularly this fruit of faithfulness. And it's important for us to be aware of that because we are easily seduced by the messages bombarding us all over the place. So let's take a look at God's faithfulness to us. Because if the fruit of the Spirit reflects the character of God, which it does, let's take a closer look at what perfect faithfulness looks like. So in our first reading in Exodus... Moses had previously, in actually the passage we read this morning, coincidentally enough, um, Moses had asked God to show him his glory. And so God comes and he reveals himself to Moses. And this is like an incredible moment of revelation where we learn God's name. Moses discovers God's name. And this is it. The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness are part of the very essence of God. It's who he is. And these two words, love and faithfulness, are held together all over the Bible through the Psalms. You'll probably, it probably sounds familiar because in the Psalms it comes up hundreds of times, God's love and his faithfulness held together. And the word for his love and his faithfulness, the Hebrew word for for the love that's talked about here is hesed. And it's a beautiful word that doesn't really have a translation in English. We don't have one word for this. But it's kind of um, covenant loyalty, steadfast love, kind of something that's unshakable and unbreakable. And the word emet, which is the word used for faithfulness, means truth or trustworthy. So the love and the faithfulness go together. God's love is his faithfulness and his faithfulness is his love. Now, covenant isn't a word we use much these days either, a bit like faithfulness. 
But one of the key covenants in the Bible is the one that God made with Abraham. A covenant's a kind of promise, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a binding contract that has consequences if you break it. So when God makes a covenant with Abraham, God promises to bless Abraham and his children so that they in turn will go on to bless the world. So he's promising that ultimately he's going to put everything right that has gone, on, gone wrong in the world and that he's going to do it through Abraham's family. So to, to seal the covenant, um, as was customary in those times, Abraham goes and he gets a bull, a goat, a ram and a couple of birds. And he slaughters them, cuts them in half and he lays, he lays the carcasses half each side in a row, like down this aisle here. So there's dead animals down the side. And normally what would happen is that if two kings were making a covenant, they would both walk through the middle of the dead animals to show that they're committing to keeping the covenant, and if they don't, then blood will be shed, just as these animals' blood has been shed. So they're accepting that there are consequences for breaking the covenant. Now the thing about the covenant that God makes with Abraham is that when the time comes for God and Abraham to walk through the dead animals, God walks through there on his own. It's, it's a powerful moment. And it's God saying that even if Abraham and his children don't keep their end of the deal, he, God, will still keep his promise. He'll rescue the world even if his own blood has to be shed. And of course, we know that's exactly what happened because Israel didn't keep their side of the bargain. They were not faithful to God. But God was faithful to the point of death. Jesus was torn apart just as those animals had been. Blood was shed. And like Abraham and the people of Israel, we too have failed at being faithful to God over and over again. But here's what Paul says to Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's impossible for God to be anything other than faithful because it's who he is, it's his very essence. He cannot deny himself. So we can have full confidence that no matter what happens, we know that one day God will get rid of all evil because he's loving and faithful and he can't be anything else. But I guess if we're honest, we're kind of thinking, well, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is that faithful. Abraham, Abraham's wife got to 90 years old and still hadn't had a child. I'm guessing Abraham might have been thinking, where's your faithfulness, God? We've probably all experienced times when we've wondered if God has abandoned us because it feels and it looks like that. 
So we need to know when we talk about God being faithful, we're not saying we'll never experience suffering. In fact, Jesus promises in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. That's, what, that's, that's a promise. It is going to happen. But the wonderful thing is that even in the mess and the tragedies and the awful stuff that can happen, God promises to be with us, to heal us, to restore us, and to make us more like himself so that we can then bless other people. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing, just as he told Abraham. So our hope is that no matter what happens, Jesus is alive and anything is possible. Everything will be made beautiful again in its time. That's our hope. That's where our faithfulness, where where God's faithfulness rests. He is abounding in love and faithfulness. And we can rest our full weight on that truth. So let's come back to us here in Guildford this evening. I wonder if you're uh, an artificial Christmas tree kind of person or more of a real Christmas tree kind of person. An artificial tree has no life in itself. It's plastic. It looks a little bit like a real tree. But it's quite easy to tell the difference, actually. It's never going to grow. You don't have to worry when you get it out of the loft next year that it's grown into a bigger tree. And we have to hang baubles on it to kind of make it look a bit like it's got some fruit on it. It's all superficial and artificial. But in contrast, if you go to a pine forest and see a real pine tree growing, it's got pine cones, loads of them, it's fruitful, it's organic, it's a healthy thing. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is like. It grows from being rooted in Jesus. It's organic. It's alive. It comes from inside us because of what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. It doesn't come by hanging stuff on the outside of our lives so that we can kind of imitate what fruit might look like. It doesn't come from a checklist of things to do. So how do we grow in faithfulness, this fruit? I think the key to growing in the fruit of faithfulness is our hearts. It's all about what's inside, about who and what we love. One of the key themes of the Bible, the central metaphors, is of God being the bridegroom and we, his people, being the bride. It's a beautiful picture of God, not as a harsh judge checking we've ticked the boxes or checking the baubles on the outside of our life. No, God is revealed as a tender lover, calling our hearts out in devotion to him. Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, which might come up on the screen, says this, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. This is wedding imagery. 
and it's an astonishing insight into God's heart for us. So faithfulness on our part is not about duty, but joy. It's a lover's loyalty to our vows. So we grow in faithfulness by gazing at God's faithfulness to us and keeping our hearts soft and plugged into the vine that is Jesus. As it talked about in that reading in Galatians, we keep in step with the Spirit. You have probably got different ways that you find to do that, to keep in step with the Spirit. One of the the ways that I find really helpful is gratitude. Just noticing God's goodness in my life daily, hourly, noticing his faithfulness to me. And then turning that into worship. Isn't it when we're worshipping God that we, um, our hearts are drawn to him? He draws our hearts out as we worship him. And isn't it in those times that we long to please him? We long to obey what he asks of us. It's where our hearts are softened so that the fruit of the Spirit can be growing in our life. But I guess just in any relationship, our hearts can grow cold, can't they? And unfaithfulness can happen slowly. We compromise gradually. We disobey in small things first. We tolerate things. Something creeps in and then it takes root. I wonder where our hearts are this evening. What are we tolerating in our lives, which is compromising our faithfulness to God or our faithfulness in our relationships with other people? We may have all the Christmas tree baubles hanging up for appearances' sake. We're very good at pretending. We can be doing all the right things, but our hearts can be far from God. God's asking for all of us, not just our religious bit. He loves us fully. He's shown his faithfulness to us in the death of Jesus, and his heart breaks when we turn away from him. He wants all of us, our work life, our thought life, our screen life, our shopping life, our social media life, our social life, our financial life, our single or married life, our parenting life. He wants our hearts, all of it. I wonder if God's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable right now. That's okay. In fact, it's more evidence of his faithfulness to us because in spite of our hearts wandering off, he reveals our unfaithfulness only so that he can restore us. He's faithful. So when we repent and recommit ourselves to him, he fully forgives us and welcomes us home with open arms and restores our joy. And actually, it's such a relief to weed those things out of our life. There's nothing life-giving about compromise or drifting 
or pretty baubles on a fake tree. It's an uncomfortable place to live. I want to finish by telling you about an 86-year-old man who knew a thing or two about faithfulness. His name was Polycarp, and he was born about 30 years after Jesus' death. And along with other Christians at that time, Polycarp refused to worship the Roman Caesar as Lord. And this earned him, like many other Christians, the death penalty. On the day he came to be burned at the stake for the entertainment of the crowds in Smyrna, the Roman proconsul gave him an easy way out. Just take a pinch of incense and place it on the altar of the imperial deity. It's a simple gesture, symbolic, that's all. Then you can go on worshipping Jesus all you like. We'll check you off our list. This was Polycarp's reply. For 80 and six years have I been Jesus' servant, and he has done me no wrong. He has been so good to me. How can I now blaspheme my king who saved me? We're unlikely to face the fate that Polycarp did, but we will face challenges from the hostile environment around us. Would we dare to ask God to give us the fruit of faithfulness in the same measure as Polycarp, who lived as a faithful witness for Christ in his generation? It's not an easy thing to remain faithful to Jesus in this day. But as we grow deeper in love with him, Jesus, who has been so good to us, would this fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives so that our hearts would remain set on him? I wonder if we, we would stand and just um, respond, just ask God to come and speak to us and highlight what he wants to say to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and meet with us now. Thank you, Lord, that you you show us where we've wandered, only so you can bring us back. So would you reveal to us, Lord, where it is that we have, have lacked faithfulness, where we have stepped back from from what we know that you want for us. Holy Spirit, come and put your finger on those things so that we can turn away from them and turn fully back to you this evening. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit.